every surgical procedure you do, you generate revenue for somebody other than yourself. So you generate revenue for your anesthesiologist, whoever owns the lab, you generate revenue for all the pharmacists out there, you generate your level, of, you know, you generate revenue because your work. So when we talk ancillary income, we're saying, how can you somehow appropriately grab part of that revenue? Hey, this is Justin Harvey, your host of the Anesthesia Success Podcast. My wife is an anesthesia resident, and I'm a financial planner, and I work with anesthesia and pain doctors as my clients. This podcast is designed to help the anesthesia community be informed about their careers, their finances, and more by taking important questions straight to the experts. Thanks for tuning in. This week, I talked to Ronnie Pinnell, Chief Operating Officer at Fibus LLC. Fibus is a company that partners with physicians to invest in and operate ambulatory surgery centers, also known as ASCs. The content from this discussion definitely falls into the category of things that you didn't learn in med school that can make a massive difference in your career and financial future, especially for pain physicians. Ronnie and I discuss why ASCs exist, when buying into an ASC as a pain physician might be a good idea, and other important questions to ask as a part of that process. If you're curious about ASC ownership and if it might be right for you, or you want to know how ASCs function in the context of other clinical models, you won't want to miss this episode. Please note that some of the content of today's discussion addresses important clinical and legal questions. Neither I nor my guests are attorneys or physicians for that matter. So none of the content of this discussion should be construed as legal advice. Please consult a qualified healthcare attorney before investing in an ASC. And now today's episode. Hello, everyone. This is Justin Harvey. Welcome to another episode of the Anesthesia Success Podcast. This week is another episode coming to you live from the ASIP conference. That's the American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And this week, I'm joined by Mr. Ronnie Pinnell. Ronnie is the Chief Operating Officer of Fibus LLC. That's P-H-Y-B-U-S LLC. Fibus supports physician-owned surgery centers with the management and strategic resources they need to help them run, start and run surgery centers. And he's here to speak with me today about what is a surgery center, also known as an ASC, that's Ambulatory Surgery Center. Why should you care as a young physician, especially pain physicians, I'm talking to you out there. And what does all this mean for you? What does this mean as far as practice, as far as investment opportunity? I'm really excited to have Ronnie here to speak with us. So Ronnie, welcome to the Anesthesia Success Podcast. Thank you, I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Um, so what, just to tell us a little bit of background starting out, why don't you tell us a little bit about your career and how you came to be doing what you do with Fibus? I will, Fibus. Uh, and I appreciate getting the um, uh, credit to be co-founder, but I actually am not. Okay. Uh, the founder is a gentleman by the name of Rodney Lunn. Rodney L-U-N-N Lunn, he has uh, been in the surgery center space for three, almost four decades now. One of the original founders of AmSurge, that's A-M-S-U-R-G, largest, one of the largest surgery center development management companies in the country. He uh, started Fibus 10 years ago. I joined him almost immediately afterwards. So an almost uh, co-founder. Almost, but he started it. <laughs> and he's a lot smarter than I am too. So, But anyway, uh, I actually, my background before I got into this, I was in the institutional money management business. Um, I actually uh, worked with a lot of hospital companies, all running money for them. And my business was driven off of tax ID numbers versus social security numbers. So when I got out of the institutional money management business, of which uh, spent almost 18 years of my life. I wanted to get involved in the healthcare. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville is infamous for the healthcare business. And so um, Rodney and I got together and, you know, who better to get mentored by than one of the pioneers in the mm -hmm. business. So that's how Fibus started. We 
not only are a surgery center management and development company, but we're also a medical billing company specializing in surgery centers. We, we bill for other, for physician practices and other scenarios as well, but we try to specialize in surgery center space. We've just been there for a long, long time. We know the business. Mm-hmm. Within the last decade of doing that, probably the last three or four, we've spent a lot of time in the pain management world and so uh, become experts in our own right, you know, when it comes to the surgery center space and how it relates to pain management. So that's where we're at. Great. That's why we're here. So I'm a young pain physician and I'm interested to know, you know, I've done some work at a surgery center, but maybe I don't really understand from an economic standpoint, what, what is a surgery center and how, do the, how does the business side of that work? And also from a clinical standpoint, you know, what is a surgery center and how does it differ from perhaps the other sites of service? Sure. So economic standpoint, a surgery center is a place for interventional pain management physicians to be able to do their surgical procedures. Historically, and on a more common scenario, a pain doc is doing their surgical procedures in their practice. They've got a procedure room, they bought a C-arm, they bought a table, they've got their own staff that they're doing it at. And all these procedures, other than all the most common procedures in, in pain, are done in their practice. On an economical basis, the outpatient surgery center space is a facility all in its own, and they have a different reimbursement structure. So you can bill not only for your professional fees, of which are included in every procedure that you do, but if you have ownership within a a surgery center, then you also will take part of billing for the facility fees for that entity. So it's important to note that it's not part of your practice, it's a separate business. It's not even a PLLC like most practices are, it's gonna be an LLC. You have to go get contracts for it, you have to go negotiate those things, you gotta run it separately, different set of financials, the whole works. Cool, so maybe you could give a quick example of, just give us an example of a procedure. This is something that uh, a doctor might do in their office setting and in an ASC. And how do the economics of that work? Talk a little bit about maybe site of service differential. uh, Yeah, yeah. so it's amazing to me uh, the, the amount of physicians that I talk to that aren't honed in and completely knowledgeable about what you just mentioned, the side of service differential. Side of service differential is nothing more than your payer, Medicare, commercial payer, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Cigna, whomever it is, they're paying a physician a slight difference, add-on, let's call it, for that physician to do a surgical procedure within his practice. So in your procedure rooms right now. And so let's use a epidural steroid injection, for example, because it's probably the most common procedure that's being done right now. Uh, if I asked you know, 10 doctors, how much do you get paid to do an ESI? Those 10 doctors are gonna give me a number and I'll just grab one out of the air. Let's call it 300 bucks. And what I ask them that is, how much of that $300 is your side of service differential? They don't know what it is, most. Call it eight out of the 10, don't even know what that is. They just know they're getting paid $300. The reality is they're getting paid $240, that's the professional fee. And then let's just use an example. Cigna also tacked on an extra $60 for their side of service differential. And so they only pay it in one check and that doc thinks, okay, I make $300. It's, he makes 240 in his professional fee, $60 in his side of service differential. Do that same procedure in a surgery center, then that, using the example that I had, the 240 in the professional fee stays, you still make that. The $60 goes away because you're now not doing it at your practice anymore, 
but now you get a facility fee at the surgery center. The surgery center, for example, might be $400 or $350 for that ESI that we just gave an example. So you're, you keep this 240, pro fee never goes away. That's your fee for doing it because you're an MD. The 60 goes away because you're no longer doing that at your practice, but you gain $350 for a facility fee at a surgery center. So that's the economics of it. Why do you do it? There's a lot of reasons. Specifically honing in on the financial side is because I can make the facility fee versus not having it at all. Great. Very helpful. So as far as, you know, I'm trying to understand like the revenue. So if I own a, a share of a surgery center as part of the business owner, I'm getting a professional fee of that, call it $250, and then say there's a $350 site of service differential. So I do that ESI, and I, it's $250 plus $350, what is that, $600 total, right? Yeah. yeah. Of that $600, $250 is coming to me, and $350 is the ASC revenue, is that, that right? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. And that ASC revenue then has to kind of trickle down through the, we use that money to pay the person that sits at the front desk, keep the lights on, all that, that stuff, pay that the is, rent. Yep. That is and correct. then that gets down to our net income at the bottom. Yep. So as a physician part owner in this ASC, I'm getting the 250 profi plus whatever trickles down through the P&L to yes. the bottom line. Yes. Is that right? That's exactly right. Which, by the way, is no different than you're doing at your practice. Right. Because you still have overhead at your practice. You still have staffing at your practice. You have med supplies. When I tell you you're losing the $60 using the example that we just talked about, I could almost argue that might be a good thing because by the time you have overhead, staffing, supply costs, and everything else, it's probably costing you $60 a case. Right. You know, so you get rid of all of that to do it at the surgery center because the surgery center covers all those expenses. Got it. What types of procedures am I doing at a surgery center if I'm a pain doctor? The, the most common, and this is, this is changing on an ongoing basis because every day Medicare approves a type of procedure, usually your commercial payers follow. But the most common in the pain management world is your epidural steroid injections, your ESIs, your RFAs, your trial stimulators, all of which those three can be done out of practice. If you have a properly built out surgery center with the right OR, included in that, then you can also do permanent cases there, your perms from mm -hmm. your trial stimulators. Mm -hmm. And those are probably your most common three to four cases. Okay. One thing we didn't mention is like a hospital-based practice. So there, we talked about site of service differential. We've got the, you know, the office at kind of the lowest reimbursement rate with the lowest kicker, we'll call yeah, it. Site of service. And then the surgery center comes in north of that. Where does the hospital fall in the spectrum? Oh, they're, they're, they're crazy. So the hospital, it, it's HOPD, which stands for Hospital Outpatient Department, mm -hmm. ambulatory surgery center. Ambulatory is walk in and walk out, and it's defined most often at 23 hours. So that's why you can't stay longer than 23 hours. We don't have this problem in pain, obviously. But in your hospital world, the HOPD departments are typically 40 to 50% higher than a surgery center. So if we use the example of $70 for a side of service differential at your practice, these are all for ESIs, by the way, $350 at a surgery center, that hospital's probably $600. And that's why they do it. I mean, you know, that's why if you talk to a hospital and you say, I want to pull my perms out of there and I'm going to do them at a surgery center, a hospital's going to fight against that because mm -hmm. they really want to keep those cases. Or they're going to try to encourage you to do cases at their office. They make a lot more money, which is why the whole nother avenue, but healthcare problems that we have today. Right, so. and so just to break this down at its most basic level so I can understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
health insurance payers are willing to pay more to the hospital than they're willing to pay to an office setting at the very lowest tier and an ASC in the middle. Why? Why is that? They have better lobbyists. Huh. Interesting. So the bottom line is for the listeners out there who are thinking like I'm a business oriented pain physician and I want to, you know, get out there and make my way in the world. Site of service differential is something that's absolutely critical to understand. Absolutely. And it's a great place to start. Probably. It's a great place to start. Understand what it, ask the question. Yeah. Ask your, uh, every one of you out there that are starting practices or young in your practices are building relationships with the local marketing reps for the insurance companies. Ask them to explain to you in your current contract, the difference between the pro fees and the, and the side of service per, uh, dollar amounts. So um, talk about, you know, we just had a discussion a few minutes ago with a gentleman who stopped by who is interested, in, he's, a, he's a, a pain fellow right now and he's very forward thinking, talking about what does it take for me to, to buy into an ASC? He's about to finish fellowship and he doesn't obviously have any uh, patient base at this point. Maybe talk a little bit about the timeline for what does it look like for somebody who's an up and coming go-getter, we'll call yeah. him, as far as establishing their own practice, generating the patient flow required to for an ASC buy-in to make sense? Yeah, for young physicians, Really, it's not even young physicians. What makes successful businesses oftentimes is people buying products. Mm -hmm. And in our space that we're talking about today, it's patients that need pain management services. So it goes back to volume. And, you know, with a young physician coming out of fellowship or a year or two with their own practice, it's all about how many patients and how much volume you have when it's to the surgical procedures. And that's what drives this. You can save money on your expenses and you can run your staffing more efficient and you can run your med supplies and beat up you know, your vendors and get better pricing. And that is gonna move the needle and it's very important in it when it comes to running a business. But what moves the needle the most is volume. And so for you young ones that are out there that are looking at, you know, maybe I wanna be forward thinking and get into this, drive your volume. Get more patients in the door, appropriately order procedures when needed, and then as you see more people and you do more procedures, you know, surgical procedures specifically, then that's when things like this open up for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, I've said it all the time, nowadays, every physician that's out there should be looking about, you know, how do they grow their revenue streams through mm -hmm. ancillary income right and you know it's it's infamous in the pain space to do labs and it's infamous in the pain space to do dme and so forth and so on outpatient surgery centers in my opinion is every bit as good as all those yeah and so to be clear you know if we're talking about sort of charting a financial course for a, a pain physician who's just wrapping up fellowship the most likely first step is they're going to you know, be part of some practice where they're coming in, you know, starting from scratch potentially with a healthy salary and beginning to build that patient base. And then as time passes, they have a lot of happy patients, they're getting referrals, they're doing a higher volume. Then there's this opportunity that unlocks for them to have what we're calling ancillary income, which for people who have no idea what those words mean, we're just talking about a second stream of income besides your salary. Yeah, right. so if, I, if, you, if you allow me to jump in, I've had this conversation a lot, so I kind of got a layman way to explain it, and I think people understand it. So every time you do something, you physicians out there do something, specifically we're talking about surgical procedures. So every surgical procedure you do, 
you generate revenue for somebody other than yourself. So you generate revenue for your anesthesiologist, whoever owns the lab, you generate revenue for all the pharmacists out there, you generate your level, you know, you generate revenue because your work. So when we talk ancillary income, we're saying, how can you somehow appropriately grab part of that revenue. Mm -hmm. And so in the facility space, if you go to the hospital and do these procedures, you're generating revenue for the hospital. Or if you go to somebody else's ASC, you're generating for their ASC. So can you be part of that? So the revenue that you generate, you can take part of. Right. And let me also caveat right now, uh, you know, we, we talked about Stark before. So yes. there's what we know as the Stark laws, which stipulate you can't self-refer business and enrich yourself in ways that are deemed inappropriate and illegal. 100%. Um, yeah. I am not a lawyer, and I'm not going to try to unpack exactly what that means in the context of the practice of pain, but I do want to pause here and say, make sure that if you're looking at opportunities like these, or you're looking at pharmacy or an ASC buy-in or some kind of referral relationship, it's great to have a lawyer on your team who can weigh in, who has some healthcare knowledge to be able to say, are we running afoul of Stark Laws in the way that this deal is configured? 100% uh, have a good attorney. I am not a lawyer either, yep. so I would add to that that they should call me. Yep, there you um, go. Um, but on top, right after the lawyer, you call Ronnie, so that's what I would say. <laughs> cool. So if we go back to our example, Ronnie, of this this young physician who's starting to you know build up the, the patient base, and then they're looking to take that step to say, I want to capture more of this ancillary income. I have enough volume to be able to do that. And I could, I could for example, fill one day a week at a surgery center with procedures mm -hmm. that are required by my patient base and maybe I call you at that point. Maybe walk me through that process of, I come in, I don't know anything, but I know that I have good volume and I wanna partner with somebody who can help me buy into a surgery center and potentially. So for us, you're almost asking, you know, kind of what's the process that my company, Fibus, would do. So what we would do is we would put together a feasibility study for that particular doctor himself. And he has good volume, but not enough volume to blow the doors off. So we would put a feasibility study together that would look like, based off of his volume, what would a surgery center look like? And most likely, if unless he's killing it, then we might want to say, should we look outside and find other docs? And we can define killing it now or different, whatever, it doesn't matter. But the bottom line is, what we would do as a management company is not only do some projections of possible feasibility studies with other physicians, but we would also do it with the growth of that particular physician himself. He may say, listen, this is how many I'm doing today, but over the next 12 months, I've got somebody else coming in, I'm gonna hire somebody, I've got this much estimated on my growth, whatever it is, so that's what you're doing. At the end of the day, again, it's all based off of volume mm -hmm. itself, and it's all based off of control. That's what, I mean, we, we've been talking the economic side, but there's many other reasons why to build a surgery center. I mean, you get control, you know, and if you have somebody else's facility or a hospital, they're in control, you're not. Mm -hmm. um, patient outcomes, mm -hmm. you get to oversee, you get to be able to do th convenience, depending on where it's being built, mm -hmm. you know, it's one of those scenarios. So there, I can go down a long list of why they want to do it. It's all driven based off of partnering with the right program, partnering with the right company, finding the right attorneys to make sure you're going down the right avenue and working hard, yeah. building a good business. Yeah, and so if I engage you and, I, and we're walking through this process and you say, you know, you're doing good, but you don't have sufficient volume to be doing five days a week if we're jammed at the surgery center. Yeah. Um, maybe we're bringing in other physician partners. What does that process look like? We're, my company would go out to the market. We're gonna use you because you know the market. I mean, so I'm sure you're involved in the local organizations. I'm sure you talk to the docs 
that do what you do around the town. So we're going to involve you because you're kind of the nucleus of it, but we're going to do all the legwork. We're going to go out and find the docs. We're going to do presentations. We're going to probably put some numbers together. Um, we can do it through dinners. We can do it through meeting folks, whatever it is. At the end of the day, the goal is to bring other people using your example that I've got, you know, enough volume to do two days a week. So what do I need to do with those other three days a week? We have some centers that you just shut down. You know, you only do cases two days a week or three days a week. Ultimately though, you want to be able to be open as much as you can for a lot of different reasons. And if your volume doesn't dictate that, we want to go find others that can come do that. Mm -hmm. They can come in and be part of your surgery center, not your practice, but be part of your surgery center. And depending on what they bring to the table, is which you can offer them in equity within the surgery center. You don't even have to do that either. I mean, if some docs just don't want to be owners, they just want to do your cases there, which is even better because then you get the revenue, don't have to give any of it away. And so what does that mean specifically that what you just so, described there? So um, just because you're doing cases at a surgery center doesn't mean you have to be an owner. Right. Okay. So if I'm an owner of a surgery center and I have an option on one hand, bring in two docs that I'm going to have to sell 30% of my surgery center to. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, bring in two docs that they don't want to have any equity whatsoever, but they want to bring all their cases. Yeah. I really want the other hand more than one, you know, right. because then I, again, I still own all of the surgery center. Right and I don't have to you know, split the, uh, the net revenues. And they would conceivably want to do that because they like the lighting and the staffing and the facilities, and yes, so they want I to mean, bring people there for a, a better patient experience? I would absolutely say not only experience, but outcomes and convenience. I mean, you know, you, okay. you, might, you might have a practice on uh, 4th and Broad, and on, on uh, 5th and Broad is another surgery center that they've got you know, time that you can use for your, your cases there. That's not happening in this space, in this specialty nowadays, because instead of going to somebody else's place, they just create procedure rooms and do it in their own office. Mm -hmm. So we don't have a lot of that in this space other than permanent procedures because those can't be done at your practice. Got it. So if I'm doing 3,000-ish procedures a year was kind of the number yeah. we were using before. If I have a surgery center share, am I taking from the 3,000, so the total number is still kind of the same, but you know maybe, 300 of them are now ASC no, I mean, cases, and then it's 27 and 300. Is that how yeah, that no, works? No, I mean, no. I mean, that's not what you want to happen. Right. At the end of the day, if you're doing 3,000 surgical procedures in your practice, you want all 3,000 of them to go to your surgery center. Okay. So how does that work if I have an office and I'm, I'm doing business there? I just, I'm essentially using it as little as I reasonably can. The surgery center or your practice? The practice. Well, again, these are really stepping a little bit outside of my expertise, but I've been in the business long enough that I can give you certainly an opinion. What drives procedure count is seeing patients. Mm -hmm. The more often that somebody's seeing patients in the practice, the more volume that they're gonna get at the surgery center, in our case of this example. So I've often seen business models developed where a practice you know, has nurse practitioners seeing patients, mm -hmm. And if the surgeon is at his surgery center doing procedures, and let's just use an example. And again, I apologize, but let's just use an example. Let's say on Wednesday next week, the doctors that are listening to us right now, they're, they're going to do procedures at their practice. That their, Wednesday's their surgical day, okay? If they owned a surgery center and they went to the surgery center and did that, I think the question at hand is, what are my staff doing? Well, 
what does the staff do on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday? They see patients and it's nurse practitioners that are seeing those patients. So my suggestion would be they do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden they've got one more day of seeing patients, which likely is going to bring more volume on the surgical side. Right. They don't, they can, but I don't necessarily think they should be shutting this, their practice down. They can. Yeah. You know, again, I, I got a preference that's, I'm in the surgery center space. I'm not in the practice, you know, the practice consulting business. Right. I just kind of learned a little bit about it. So. Yeah, understood. <laughs> so as far as ASC ownership, you know, yes. how, how does this work? And this probably varies by state and state laws and things. But if I partner with Fibus yes. and I'm a pain physician and maybe there's two or three others or maybe it's a multi-specialty. Do you guys do multi-specialty? We do. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if there's a maybe a few of us that are a few different specialties, how does that work as far as like buying in? putting money down, getting a loan, yeah. equity, and all that. Yeah, so uh, if you're working with Fibus, we're a minority player in this space. Minority, uh, define, uh, defining minority player versus majority player is, our sweet spot is owning 10 to 20% of the surgery center, the minority interest. And there are other businesses out there that own you know, 51% or more, that's the majority. We're a minority player for several reasons, but mainly because we want to see the physician have an opportunity sometime down the road when they sell their surgery center to whomever that they're going to get the big hit. You know, they're going to be able to sell 51% to somebody that buys it for eight, uh, an eight multiple of what the value of that surgery center is. So uh, if we were a 51% owner on, out of the gate, then they would never get that opportunity. So that's the main reason why we're a minority owner of that. What we would do to answer your specific question is we would go, let's just assume that you know a group of you guys already have enough volume to own your own surgery center. We would work with local contractors and we would work with our architects. Uh, if you're in a certificate of need state, then we would work with the CON committee. And we do all the work. We would build the center with local contractors. We would then get the center licensed and accredited. We would then get the center contracted with the payers because this is not an easy thing. We would hire the staff, operate the center, get it running. The goal for us is that physicians come and do cases and be doctors. Mm -hmm. We're the business folks. Mm -hmm. uh, we get a management fee to do that. We'll do the management and the billing. And you as a physician can do as much or as little as you want when it comes to that side of it. But most we're finding are, you know, just want to come in and do their cases and they want to be updated on an ongoing basis with financials and profitability. Mm -hmm. And they want to know what's going on with their staff. And that's how we work with local fi financing companies. Most of it is financed through a bank and the business itself will pay the loan off. So it's not like we have a $2 million cost to build out a surgery center and we're all having to write checks for $2 million. Right. So if we're starting from scratch and you, you say, okay, I'm the golden child and I'm doing crazy volume as a pain physician, maybe there's one other, and we're gonna do a surgery center with you. Mm -hmm. And you say, you know, we've identified a site, we're gonna do a new build, you literally are like talking to contractors and an architect and you're going to like build a space yep. and then you're going to do all of this legwork. And, and what I'm doing is I'm going to move as much of my case volume to this surgery center as I can. And I'm also re responsible for getting financing. So I'm going to put some money down and then I need to get a loan for the balance. And that loan goes to who? It goes to the business. So we will okay. create a business and the business goes and gets the loan because the business doesn't exist, right. because the business doesn't exist, there's not gonna be an institution out there that loans the business just to them, the money. Right. That's where we as owners step in, myself, 
uh, our, my Fibus and then the physicians, whomever it is, and we would go in and personal guarantee whatever the loan amount is. The dollars then go to the business to build it, buy equipment, staff it, run it for the first few months until the dollars start to come in. Mm -hmm. And then the business itself will also pay the loan back. Right. So when I'm getting this financing, am I signing on the dotted line and like using my house as collateral as a physician? Well, most physicians personally guarantee it. Right. So they don't, you know, I mean, if let's say whatever their pro rata portion is, if you own 30% of the surgery center, then you're only owning 30% of the loan. Right. And if you personally guarantee it, then they're going to get that dollar one way or another. Right. So if you got a lot of dollars sitting in good investments, then they're going to go get those right. or they're going to get it from your house. <laughs> right. Okay. So to be clear, what this is, is a business opportunity where you potentially are, you know, you're personally guaranteeing a big number on this surgery center in order to get it up and running in order to push as much business to the surgery center as you can generate revenue in that surgery center. And with that revenue, pay off the loan that you took out that was personally guaranteed so that eventually fast forward five years, you've got a very profitable surgery center that has a high volume, that has paid off a loan fully, and then what happens is as the ASC keeps making money, that money then becomes yours to keep. I would agree with everything you said. I would change a little bit of the wording sure. and say that, you know, usually our goal is to look at around year two that you're at steady state and making the money. So even with the debt of the surgery center, even with the interest and in all the things that it's paying off, you're still making enough money to put dollars in your pocket. Right, okay. You don't have to wait until it's paid off before you're making any money. Let's put right, 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 yeah. And that's assuming that you're making the required payments on the loan, I guess. Yeah, well, those those come off top. That's an expense, right. the, just, like, just like housekeeping is an expense at the surgery center, so is paying the debt off. Sure, makes sense. So, you know, you've done a lot of these. Um, what do you see characterize the ASCs that do really well? Volume. We've talked about it several times already. Uh, probably your driving force is to make sure you have the appropriate amount of volume. If you are doing uh, 100 cases a week, whatever those cases are, then bring 100 cases a week to the surgery center. Don't only bring 20. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, so volume is key. Probably the driving force of success of a surgery center is volume. Right after volume is uh, certainly a strong management company. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, managing the center, managing expenses, managing vendors, managing your payer contracts. I mean, there's so much to go into running a business appropriately. You need the folks that know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Other than that, if I was to go down the list and I haven't, so I might be a little bit off. Don't let your eyes get really big. You know, don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry because yeah. then you buy too much. So when you're building a surgery center, I mean, listen, you're, you're doing procedures and you're getting them in and you're getting them out. So you don't need the Taj Mahal. You don't need a place that's sitting on the corner of Fourth and Broad, like we talked about, because it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You can have it in the back alley, for God's sake, because, again, patients are going to go where you send them. You know, they're not driving by a nice, flashy surgery center and saying, oh, well, let me go there and do my procedures. They might drive by your nice, flashy practice and say, I need to go stop there. But then when they do that, you're going to send them to the surgery center. So don't overbuild. Mm -hmm. you know? So the three biggest things right off the top of my head, I'd say, is volume, solid partnership you know, with mm -hmm. your management company, and don't get overzealous. Yeah. Have you been a part of any um, deals, any, uh, you know, starting up an ASC where there was strife among partners and there was some sort of, they had to either work it out or it blew up? 
Yeah, well, not none that have blown up, fortunately enough. Um, we've had some struggles. Physicians have strong personalities. So if it's a group, it's usually not a problem mm -hmm. because everybody's already part of a group. If it's a multiple groups coming together to build one surgery center, yeah, there's problems. You know, are people carrying their own weight or are they not? Do they want to use a certain type of C-arm versus a different type of C-arm? Mm -hmm. You know, somebody likes a staff member, somebody doesn't like a staff member. So yeah, there's issues, but that's where that solid partnership in the management company comes in because we handle those scenarios. You don't have to. Mm -hmm. Is there any difference in the cost of buying into a surgery center between the different specialties? Like, am I more valuable as a, I don't know, like a, a neurologist versus pain versus ortho? Maybe if I'm a, like ortho and I can really drive a lot of traffic, you're gonna give me a better deal to get in or something so, like that? So at development stage, the cost is whatever the development costs are. So you, certainly, um, you know, your biggest expense at a, at a pain surgery center is your C-arm. I mean, other than what construction. What is that, what is C-arm? That's their, radiation machine that okay. they do that they're doing and it ranges from $85,000 to $145,000 depending on what kind you're getting and so forth and so on that's probably your one time big other than you know the build out cost and all the other things that come along with it but the one one piece of equipment that costs more than anything else is probably that and so when you're building a pain center you might have you know a certain cost depending on how big and what equipment and so forth and so on if you've got orthopedic docs they might have half a million dollars in equipment alone in one OR. Mm -hmm. um, and so naturally the cost of buying into that center at development stage is going to be a lot more than a pain management is, mm -hmm. but it's not because they're orthopedic or it's because they're pain. It's because the things that come along with an orthopedic center versus a pain center. Got it. And just so I understand if, if we're starting a new multi-specialty ASC, say we've got a neurologist and uh, ortho and pain, we'll just keep it simple. Okay. Are we each giving you or contributing the same amount of money to the business for the same amount of equity? You can, certainly it's probably easiest way to do that, yeah. you know, uh, but we've done them in many different ways. Are, are Is that something that the partner physicians would work out among themselves or do you quarterback that discussion? We quarterback it. I mean, okay. again, they can. Again, it, it depends on who you're talking to. Oftentimes what I'm finding out is that when it becomes... <laughs> You know, listen, if it's a tough conversation, let's find somebody else to be the mediator and handle that conversation. Yeah. If it's an easy conversation, we'll handle it. No right. problems. You know, it's one of those deals. Yeah. So tougher conversations is when somebody wants to tell somebody else that they don't add as much value. So right. therefore, you should only own 10% of the center instead of 20. Right. Um, and those I find ourselves involved in more often than not because we have to explain that. Sure. So. Yeah. But understand this, too. The guys that don't own as much, they're not risking as much either. Right. They're only taking on the risk of whatever debt that was brought on by the surgery center of whatever ownership they actually own. Yeah. So makes sense. So this has been, I've, I've learned a ton in the last 30 minutes. Thank you very much for your time today, Ronnie. Uh, in closing, is there any advice that you would give somebody who's considering either a new build ASC or maybe buying into an established ASC? Like what are the landmines I need to look out for? What are the things that I absolutely make sure, need to make sure I do my due diligence on to, to make sure I'm making a good decision? Yeah, so obviously, uh, because I'm in the business of surgery centers, I'd advise them to call me. Right. Um, so I'm sure you'll pass on my information. I will include it in the show notes. Please do that. Yep. And I think the first thing to do is to make sure that, you know, you're talking to somebody that knows what they are doing and that they've done them and they're successful at it. 
I think it's critical when you talk about those types of things. Because uh, to be real honest with you, we spend probably the same amount of time talking people out of building surgery centers than we do to build surgery centers. And um, I think that's important to note that, you know, everybody doesn't need to have a surgery center. Yeah. That's just the way it is. On the flip side of that, you know, if you've got the capabilities of doing it, you've got the volume, then partner with the right group. And I think you'll be great. great. Mm -hmm. If you're looking to go from developing a surgery center, building one, to maybe just buying into one, mm -hmm. then there's a strong likelihood that they already have a management group involved. Mm -hmm. And then so get involved with that management group and ask them some details. If they don't have a management group involved, then I'd encourage you again to come back to me and call me because then I can at least guide you through some correct questions yeah. um, and you can uh, ask the right things to the right people. Cool. And so, Great. Well, Ronnie, thank you very much for joining me today on this podcast. I appreciate it's, it. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you very much. Thanks. Hey, Justin here. This may shock you to learn, but I am actually not a full-time podcaster. I also run a financial planning company called Quantify Planning, where I work closely with anesthesia and pain docs to build and implement customized financial plans. If you're interested in working with a financial planner who knows many of the ins and outs of your profession, shoot me an email or head on over to quantifyplanning.com for more information. If you're a resident or fellow, I can also offer you a free student loan analysis if you're interested, but there might be a waiting list, so check out the link over there to see. If you're interested in learning more about the topics we discussed today, head over to anesthesiasuccess.com to join our community of residents and attendings and others to ask a question or get more free resources. If and only if you like this episode, please leave us a review and subscribe. Thank you very much for listening to the Anesthesia Success Podcast.